Hello everybody, welcome to Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. Today we are going to do a speed episode, probably our, by far, our shortest one yet, because I am up to my eyeballs in work and World Series stuff this week, and getting ready, ready to travel to Atlanta this weekend, so I just don't have the amount of time on my hands that I normally do to do a full-length episode, so we're going to burn through kind of same format. Uh, I'm going to skip over the segments. But uh, we'll do uh, the week seven recap and the week eight preview. Or excuse me, week eight recap and week nine preview. Um, just in far more uh, quick fashion. So, as I get my notes ready, we will be on our way. And here we go. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. Alright, so super quickly, there's a few games I have a few notes on and a few I'm just going to kind of read off the scores. Uh, we'll start with Bama, Alabama beat Tennessee 52-24. to uh, Kind of like I predicted with Hinton Hooker starting for the Vols, we didn't really know that that would be the case until Friday, maybe even Saturday. Um, I thought that Tennessee would be able to give us a pretty good game, and they certainly did. The score is... Definitely misleading because up until the end of the third quarter, starting the fourth quarter, it was a one-score ball game. Uh, Tennessee hit a long, I mean, several long plays. I mean, all of their scoring plays, um, at least two of them were on like 70-plus yard touchdowns. So I thought the Vols did a really good job at uh, kind of exploiting Bama a couple times. They caught us sleeping on defense. And... Um, it just wasn't enough to keep up with the tide for the full game. Tennessee, Alex Allen was telling me, we were texting about the game after it happened, and forget the exact stat, but he said that Tennessee only had like 62 scholarship players, maybe 63, and then that was the lowest And I don't know if he said the FBS, but maybe it was just Power 5, but regardless of what it was, Tennessee, depth is an issue. I mean, you saw so many Tennessee guys leave the program with the big fat mess they had over the offseason with firing Pruitt and going through a coaching search after just several years of subpar football. So a lot of players left for more stable opportunities at other programs, which left them very little to work with, which, you know, we're kind of at the part of the season where you can't really hide from that anymore if you do have depth issues. Everyone's got injuries at this point. Even the players that are playing, you know, everybody's hurt. Everybody's banged up by the time week eight comes around. So, I mean, that, you know, that's a bummer if you're a Tennessee fan that the depth was that big of an issue. It's not surprising that Alabama was able to kind of exploit that and pull away in the fourth quarter after Tennessee had a super hard-fought battle Last weekend, last weekend against Ole Miss, where they ran like a hundred plays on each side of the ball. So, but you know, I mean, a positive to take away for the Vols is that Heupel is playing. He has his guys playing really well. Even you know, given that they have the big depth issues against really good teams like Alabama and Ole Miss, so that's something that Tennessee can uh, you know probably get pretty excited about going forward. But Alabama extends the winning streak to 15 years in a row on the third Saturday of October. Coach Saban has never lost to the Vols. Moving on, uh, LSU got shellacked by Ole Miss, 31-17 on their Manning jerk-off day there in Oxford. Uh, 
I don't got too much on this game. It was close. LSU hung around there for a little bit in the first half, but Ole Miss was able to pull away. Uh, you know, <laughs> we saw a funny, funny tweet. I guess we'll go ahead and do our tweet of the week. Was uh, a picture of LSU, uh, the scoreboard. I think they were down like 21, and Coach O was on the sideline just smiling. Looks like he didn't have a care in the world, and usually, you know, he's obviously a hothead, so it was weird to see him loosey-goosey in a situation like that, and I forget who tweeted this, so forgive me, but I don't have the time to look it up right now. Uh, someone said, quote tweeted that, that image and just said, in quotations, as if they were Orgeron, I'm not losing, y'all are losing. So we kind of talked about last week in depth on how it would be a weird situation there at LSU with his interim, but not actually interim, but still kind of interim status. So it'll be uh, interesting to keep on that an eye on that as they go forward. LSU's having big issues this week with health and availability, apparently. They didn't even have enough players to like do a full normal practice. Uh, this is their bye week leading up to Alabama. Thankfully for them, they have some time to rest and get ready. But it might be very ugly in Tuscaloosa here on November 6th when they play the Tide. Uh, Ole Miss, they keep chugging along. You know, I mean, outside of their one loss to Alabama, they are undefeated and they have a really good chance to go 11-1 and if they can get past Auburn and Texas A&M, which I could see them splitting those games. I think they'll be the favorite and they definitely could win both of them, um, but those will be two tough ones. We'll talk more about that Auburn matchup here on the upcoming preview. So Ole Miss keeps rolling on. Kiffin doing a really jo good job there this season. Uh, Pittsburgh beat Clemson 27-17. This was not the biggest story on kind of a you know, playoff implication matter, but it was just big because Clemson continues to go on that quick downward spiral. DJ Mulele got benched. Pitt totally dominated them in the second half. Their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, is now, I think, third in the Heisman race behind Bryce Young and Matt Corral. And now I'm sure C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, they've really got that thing rolling up there in Columbus. So I think he'll be, you'll, you'll start hearing his name a lot more. He had a rough couple first weeks, but it seems like they've figured everything out. And Pittsburgh is looking like the best team in the ACC. Whatever ACC matchup we have in the championship game is going to be really, really weird and something that no one on earth saw coming. So good job to Pitt. They get the, you know, huge win over Clemson, even though Clemson's, you know, completely, completely uh, wasted away at this point. That's still a big win just because of the name for Pittsburgh's program. Uh, Iowa State, they're back. You know, it took. They got off to a slow start, and everybody started kind of sleeping on them. But it appears that they have finally figured it out, and they're playing really good football now, taking down a previously undefeated Oklahoma State team there in Ames, 24 to 21. This is the type of ball game that Iowa State really needed to get their mojo back. They've they kind of you know they've got a little win streak going now, and this was one of the weird games where. If you remember, we discussed last week, Iowa State was a seven-point favorite as an unranked team over number eight, Oklahoma State. So definitely an odd situation there. They did not cover that spread. Uh, but a similar thing happened with Oregon beating UCLA. The Ducks won that one 
to 31. UCLA was unranked. Oregon was number 10, I believe. And the Bruins were a one-point favorite. And the ranked team um, also covered, even though in this case they won. So the Ducks are continuing to chug along in the Pac-12. What else we got here? Uh, yeah, a couple of ugly ones. Oklahoma beat Kansas 35-23, to even though it really wasn't that close. Uh, I actually watched almost this entire game on Saturday morning. I saw Kansas was up uh, 7-0, and I said, hey, you know, there's not really much else on right now. I'll flip that on, see if Kansas can keep it entertaining for 10 minutes. Uh, little did I know I'd be watching that game all four quarters, and it was quite the entertaining matchup. Oklahoma got off to such a sleepy start. Kansas, uh, there in the third quarter, they had the lead, and... Of course, there was nobody there. There were probably as many, if not more, Oklahoma fans in the stadium as opposed to Kansas fans. And the Kansas Athletic Department Twitter account, like the official Real Deal account, tweeted out in the third quarter. And they emailed all of their student body, the gates are open, we're not checking tickets, please come and make some noise, we need your help. So I don't know how many students actually showed up after their plea. Maybe some kids just slept in and woke up at halftime and decided to drag their hungover asses over to the stadium for the second half where things unfortunately went downhill for Kansas. But hell of a battle for them. Oklahoma is somehow still undefeated. They moved to 8-0. and They are still just dying to lose. They play Iowa State and uh, Oklahoma State back-to-back weeks to end the season. So, you know, we're going to find out what they're made of finally then because they just haven't played anybody and they've barely beat everybody they've played. So, Sooners survive yet again. Last but not least, uh, well, yes, last but least, uh, Penn State loses to Illinois 20-18 to in nine overtimes. Yes, you heard that right if you didn't see it. Nine overtimes, making it the technically the longest game in NCAA history. However, if you didn't know this year, they implemented a new rule where if you went to the third overtime, you would no longer do the classic college overtime format. Um, you would instead just trade off two-point attempts so you don't get the ball at the 25, you get the ball at the 3, where they normally play, place it for a PAT or a two-point conversion. And it's just like sudden death. Like still the same overtime format where, say, Penn State gets the ball first in the third overtime, then Illinois will get the chance after them, and then they'll flip it. Illinois would then get the ball first in the fourth overtime, and then Penn State would get the chance after them. There were no two-point conversions (laughs) allowed until the seventh overtime, I believe it was. Let me, I got to check on this real quick. There were so many, I, uh, (laughs) I forget. Yeah, I I was wrong. So it wasn't until the eighth overtime that either team converted a two-point conversion. They both converted them, (laughs) coincidentally, in the eighth. And then in the ninth, Illinois got it and Penn State missed. So that was like the ugliest game ever. Uh, definitely up there. Uh, shockingly, anybody that had the over in that game, I don't know why you would ever bet an over in Penn State versus Illinois in the first place, so you kind of deserve this. I believe it was 45 and a half, maybe 46 and a half. Either way, it didn't hit, which that is just unbelievable that a nine overtime game is still going to go under only in the Big Ten. 
So we have our week nine preview now. Um, there's like four games I want to touch on really quickly. Uh, all ranked matchups except for actually the cocktail party of all things because Florida isn't ranked um, after they've been kind of sliding downhill here recently. So we'll just go ahead and start with that, hit the SEC games, and move on to the Big Ten matchups. Uh, number one, Georgia plays Florida in the cocktail party. They're in Jacksonville, Florida, of course. That's the 230 CBS game, as always. Um, Georgia, you know, they haven't... I mean, they've had a couple pretty good tests with Kentucky and, and Arkansas, but I think both of those teams really play into Georgia's hands very well. So Florida, if they... I assume they're going to start Richardson at quarterback. That is definitely what the fan base wants to see, and I think that's probably the only chance they'll have at beating uh, this Georgia defense if he can come in and just kind of go Cam Newton on them. Um, I'm sure Emory Jones will probably get some situational downs in as well, since he's just been the go you know their their main guy all year, has a lot more experience, probably more comfortable in certain packages or situations or whatnot. So don't be surprised to see Mullen play both of them, but I think Richardson is finally going to get the opportunity to start, which would definitely make this a little bit more interesting of a matchup. Maybe Florida can keep it close. I mean, if Richardson plays, gives Georgia some new looks they haven't seen on film, who knows? I don't think the dogs will lose this game. It's just a matter of how close can Florida keep it, in, uh, you know, in my mind, but this rivalry is always crazy. You never really know. I'm excited to tune in do it. Also in the SEC, Really big matchup. Uh, number 10 Ole Miss goes to number 18 Auburn. That's at 6 o'clock on ESPN. Um, I mean, this is a great game. You know, this stadium's going to be rocking, obviously, at nighttime. Ole Miss is really good, but Auburn has kind of surprised me with how steady they've been. You know, they got the big win at Arkansas and um, had the week off previously since then. So this will be a great game. It'll be interesting to see if Auburn's offense can keep up with Ole Miss's. I like Ole Miss to win this game, but I also wouldn't be surprised if some Auburn stuff happens in Auburn at night. So, you know, Halloween weekend, it uh, seems like that's just as likely as the Rebels walking out of there with the W. So we'll see, but that's going to be another great one. Moving on to the Big Ten, we've been talking a lot over the last few weeks how the Big Ten looks, you know, right up there with the SEC. Uh, they still got three ranked teams with Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State, and like none of these teams have lost yet. Penn State, until they just lost to Illinois, they were also up there in the big, uh, or in the big, the in the top ten. So them losing definitely puts a bit of a damper on this round robin we have coming up. But we've got Michigan at Michigan State. That's the morning, 11 a.m. Central. And then we have Penn State at Ohio State, which, let me check that time real quick. Yeah, that's the night game at uh, 6.30 Central. So I think Michigan and Michigan State is going to be a lot better game than Ohio State. Penn State, Michigan Michigan State are kind of the same team. Um, you know, nothing to do with them being from the same state at all, but they play very similar, just physical, pretty good defense. They want to run the ball and everything. So that'll probably be a pretty classic, ugly, uh, not ugly cause it's bad, but just ugly, like hard hitting physical, you know, big 10 game. I don't see any universe where Penn state can keep up with Ohio state. 
every now and then you'll get a weird outcome in that matchup. We've had some good one over, good ones over the past few years, but with this game being in Ohio State at nighttime and Penn State just coming off a loss to freaking Illinois, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not buying the Nittany Lions really getting any chance to win this one, so... The Buckeyes will probably be uh, be up pretty big, pretty quick in that game. So I'll be, well, I'll be watching the Braves on Saturday night before anything. But I will hopefully have another eye on the uh, Auburn Ole Miss game on Saturday night because that should be a really great matchup. So plenty of other good games this weekend. I just don't really have time to get into, but uh, those are kind of the big headliner highlights. So. Hope everybody enjoys all of those. I believe game days at uh, in East Lansing for the Wolverines at the Spartans matchup. Uh, I've got a tweet and a voicemail I'm going to get to quickly and then wrap everything up. I'm going to hit the tweet first and then go to the uh, voicemail afterwards. So JM, y'all know him as John from Tuscaloosa, tweeted me at uh, 3.41 a.m. on Saturday night. And that's just my time. He's over further east than I am, so I'm not sure what time it was there. But he said, just finished rewatching the Bama game. Uh, everyone is quick to jump on Alabama defensive coordinator Pete Golding, but I don't think he called a bad game. I see an execution problem, not a coaching problem. I'd go into specifics if I had more characters, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Roll Tide. So this is something that kind of irks me how people are so quick to jump on Pete Golding. And I'm not talking about UJM, I'm talking about just, you know, kind of Twitter people in general, which I know isn't a great representation of the actual fan base because it's just a bunch of loud mouths for the most part. But everyone is really quick to jump on him anytime anything goes wrong. And uh, very, very patient to give him any type of praise, you know, or a lot of times the praise will go to Saban when things start to go right. So, you know, we gave up a couple big plays, um, like I said earlier, like a couple 70-plus yard passing touchdowns to Tennessee. Tennessee's offense is good, first of all. Second of all, you know, Giving up 24 to them in today's day and age isn't awful, and it really shouldn't have even been that, though. Like, for most of the game, we really suffocated them, and they couldn't do much at all at the ball. They got 14 of those points really fast, and then the other touchdown came just in the blink of the eye uh, late in the third. So I, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend to be some schematic guru. I mean, I... I, I understand the basics, but not much more than that, honestly. Um, you know, I, I was there and saw with my own eyes, Texas A&M, you know, we just got bullied and pushed around. So I kind of put that more on execution than scheme when stuff happens like that. It wasn't obviously nearly as bad in the Tennessee game this past weekend, but I, I, I do think people are too quick to jump on Pete Golding. And all the Bama fans kind of conveniently ignore the fact that at the end of the day, this is still Saban's defense. Like, we all know who's in charge and who has the final say. So even though, yes, you can clearly see a difference from the, like, Kirby and the Pruitt regimes to this one, you know, we started off really bad last year, 
and everyone just wanted to send Golding to the guillotine. And then down the stretch, when our defense played really well against really explosive offenses like Ohio State in the national championship, you never heard too much praise for Pete Golding. So I think that that does kind of bother me, and I think people always like to act like it's an execute or like a scheme thing instead of just sometimes it is on the players like the player the coaches usually aren't calling terrible plays sometimes it just comes comes down to being disciplined or being out of place or just making a damn tackle which we've had problems with at times this year just you know not getting pushed around in the trenches so people are definitely way too quick to jump on them and uh i kind of agree you know sometimes um, it's more about the execution than it is the scheme. I will say, just on a kind of one more specific instance, and you may have seen this by now, but the last touchdown that Tennessee scored there in the third quarter, it was Josh Job that got burned um, by, I'm not sure what the receiver was, but Hooker hit him on a deep deep route there just go route right on the Alabama sideline and I mean from the second to say the ball was snapped you know it, it was a touchdown we never had a chance to catch up to the guy but Saban and of course in real time you can't really see the sidelines all super well and what's going on so on TV it looks like Job was just caught sleeping and he just got totally burned after the game Saban actually took the blame for that one because he was saying you know, we're still coaching, we were coaching him up, and we were distracting him, and then all of a sudden the play had started, and then all of a sudden the guy's, you know, already in the end zone, and I was talking to my dad about that play, and he said, you know, why the hell are you still coaching him at, like, that late in the play clock, not that it was even late, but Tennessee was just running an up-tempo offense, so... I don't know. I mean, I th I think that's an that's you know one instance where you can't even blame Golding. You can blame Saban if you want to for that one. Uh, they just you know they were distracting him from what Saban said. So I guess that's that. And uh, yeah, so that's about all I got on the Pete Golding thing. You know, he's the first one to get all the blame and the last one to get any credit. So while sure, like you know, I don't think he can stack up to some of our defensive coordinators in the past. I mean, basically nobody can because they were, you know, some of the best that we've seen in quite a while. Um, sometimes it just comes down to players making plays or players not making plays, and, you know, that's that. All right, so this voicemail is coming from my buddy Garrett Bulldog, big Georgia fan. If you were listening for the Week 1 preview, you remember him coming on and telling us about the uh, outlook for the Dogs this season for that Clemson game. So here's Garrett. And tailgate party listeners. I want... Hey, Jackson and tailgate party listeners. I wanted to call and uh, ask a question about the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, specifically, there's a little bit of QB controversy between Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. Obviously, I think Stetson Bennett has had a lot of experience over the past few games and has done really well. Um, but I wanted to get your opinion as my main concerns would be in playing a more talented team on our schedule towards the end of the season or in the playoff. How do you think um, 
Stetson Bennett would perform, and do you believe there's any reality for controversy? Um, I'd like to personally, I think JT Daniels is a better fit long term. However, I think there's valid concerns over his health throughout the season or throughout the season. Uh, thank you, and go have a tailgate party. Woo-hoo. All right, thanks for calling in, Garrett. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, um, and really this weekend we're going to find out some more about it, I think. Uh, I was just looking at some headlines, and it looks like JT Daniels is looking good in practice. Um, I think it looks like Bennett is still supposed to start this weekend against the Gators, but maybe if they were to have some issues, Daniels could be ready to go on the sideline just in case. However, you know... This has been dragging on so long. The injury thing with JT Daniels, it really makes you wonder what his durability is going to be like down the stretch. Is he going to re-aggravate this oblique or back or whatever it is that keeps you know delaying his return? Stetson Bennett, I know he doesn't really make anyone jump out of their shoes, but I think he's done really well this year. Looked improved over what he was doing last season. So if nothing else, I think you have two good quarterbacks. Um, obviously, Georgia's style of play, they're so good at running the ball. Their defense is so dominant. It makes his life really easy. And I think outside of the Florida game, you know, uh, I mean, they're going to have to deal with Tennessee, which might be interesting if Tennessee can get a little, little bit healthier and everything by the time that Georgia game comes around. But um, they, the schedule isn't too tough the rest of the way for Georgia. Um, so really, you know, it's probably more so looking at the SEC title game, like who's going to be starting then. And obviously for the playoff, um, I don't know just cause I haven't seen JT Daniels basically at all this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he looks like when he comes back. Is that going to disrupt the flow and the momentum that Georgia has so much of right now? Um, I think they probably will, you know, do some type of split situation where they're sharing reps in the games. The coaches obviously get a good look at it in practice, which we don't. But if JT Barrett comes in, say he's underwhelming play-wise or he re-injures himself, the good news is that you know you have a reliable backup. Do you feel good enough winning the, you know, good about winning the national championship? with Stetson Bennett you know I don't know that's a question I guess for you Garrett but um, it'll be interesting but at least you have a good backup option because you know in Alabama's case if Bryce Young were to go down then yeesh things things gonna get gonna get rough (laughs) but um, I don't know it'll be interesting to see this weekend you know if maybe if the dogs get a big lead on Florida or if, I mean, Florida's defense isn't really mu- worth much of anything, but if Bennett were to have struggles, does JT go in and relieve him for a few series and see how that goes? I don't know, but it is it is going to be really interesting to watch down the stretch. So I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, we'll just have to see. Only time will tell. And uh, thanks for calling, Garrett. So that's all I got for this week. Um, keeping it below 30 minutes for the first time ever for a normal episode. So... Nice and brief. Uh, I hope everybody has a good week and a safe Halloween weekend. 
Hope everybody is enjoying the World Series as I am. The Braves are just now starting game two, so I'm going to run upstairs and get some dinner and sit down for that. I'll be in Atlanta this weekend, so watching some uh, college football on Saturday, but mostly revolving around the Braves. I have not had many um, guests on this past, the past few weeks in October compared to the first month, but we're going to get that back up and going. I've just had like deadline after deadline at work and it's made it a little hard to coordinate always takes a little extra time to do the interviews and everything as opposed to just banging it out myself so we're gonna get back on that finish the season strong i know i haven't been very active on the social media but i'm trying to ramp that back up too so thanks for hanging with me everybody i appreciate it have a good happy halloween go braves